would this morning turn with me to Hosea. Hosea chapter 11. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, so find the big guys such as Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Keep turning to the right and you'll come to Hosea. And he is really the first of the minor prophets, what's called the minor prophets. The minor prophets being minor not because they're unimportant, but because they're shorter. (laughs) They don't write as much as Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, these other fellows. Daniel gets grouped in there for other reasons I can't talk about now, but um, he gets put in the major prophets section in our English Bible. But the minor prophets are just shorter. Now, Hosea is 14 chapters, but he's not a 66 chapter such as Isaiah. Okay, Um, He's not as long-winded, hence minor prophets. There's 12 minor prophets. Uh, So just think of the 12 apostles. That's how many minor prophets there are, 12. And they're typically referred to in the Hebrew Bible as simply the 12. That's how Jesus would have known them. And when he would have read them, uh, that's what he would have been reading from, would have been from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so notice this in Hosea chapter 11. Now remember, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. We've not left that yet. Uh, we can't get enough of the law. Jesus couldn't get enough of the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so we want to know why it was important to him. He could have abolished it. That could have been his plan. He did not. And so the Ten Commandments, as I've said Sunday after Sunday, uh, they are not obsolete. They are absolute. You can't vote to change them. You, know, you, you, you might be able to vote on laws in your land, but you can't vote on morality. God's the one who designed that. It's not up for a vote. Hosea 11 here. Hear these words from this prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from Me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within Me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. (laughs) The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When He roars, His children shall come trembling from the west. 
They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I'll return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Now follow over to 14.4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. And then down to 8. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and upright, and the upright will walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love Me and keep My commandments. That is the second commandment. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is sharper than any weapon in our world. May it pierce to our very soul this morning and prick our hearts so that we might love You, that we might turn to You, that we may not turn to idols. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. watching TV the other day and I saw all these people gathered around this one field, this one area. And they had headdresses on, they, had, they were painted, they were screaming, they acted like everything in their life came down to this one moment, this one defining thing, this one, so to speak, act of worship. And it was a football game. They had paid money to be there. They had sacrificed time, family, their very life, because time is life. And for what? For the idols they worshipped. We even in our society today call them idols and have a show that's, what's it called? American Idol. And God says, what are idols to me, Hosea? They're not the way to go. They always lead to death. Hosea is this interesting prophet, remember, who is told to marry a promiscuous woman, prostitute, someone who ended up... uh, was paid to have sex. Um, she was bought. Now that wasn't uncommon, uh, you know, in the in the ancient world. But but here she was bought, redeemed. It's a beautiful story here of Hosea's love for her. Remember last week our actual reading was from Hosea, where he named them not my children, not my people, you know. Uh, and so that would be an interesting name. But he so he he's he's quite a uh, entrance to the minor prophets. Um, 
And yet God has a very specific thing that He's saying through Hosea here in chapter 11, which is this. Israel, they're my children. Did you notice the, did you notice the familial language here? The way he, the fatherly love that he's, he's saying, look, I'm the one who taught him to walk. I'm the one who bent down and picked him up by his arms. I mean, we've all done that to our children. These little guys, they, they do this number. You know, my, my kids will back it up into me, you know, bam, 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 and they throw their arms up because so, they want me to pick them up and put them in the lap with me while I'm watching television. God says, look, I've loved you with these cords of kindness. Bands of love. All I've done is to raise you up. I delivered you out of Egypt. Don't you remember? I'm the one who gave you life. I'm the one who made your life possible. And you turn away from me at every single moment that you can. In the Old Testament, the number one problem... (laughs) that Israel faced was idolatry. Idol worship. Over and over again, they go to other gods and goddesses represented by idols. All the way from the patriarchal times, which is Abraham's time. You remember, Abraham comes from a polytheistic City, Ur, U R, um, not Ur, not sure you use like U, Ur. Um, he comes from there, which that's actually the Sumerians. They're the first civilization known to mankind. They arise somewhere around 3500 BC. He comes about, not as a caveman, but coming from one of the highest technologically advanced societies in the world at the time. I mean, The Sumerians are the ones who developed writing, math, domes, architectural structures. I mean, they're pretty much the end all as far as we know from civilization. They are the first civilization. And he arises at the end of their civilization. So they're already collapsing and other people are starting to take over. And it's uh, it's really up in the air time. And so you're able to travel because there's not a world war. There's not someone who's dominating everything. And that's why Abraham is told to leave. And Abraham comes from a very polytheistic place, and yet he chooses to listen to God. Hey, I believe you. And he leaves. But Terah, his father, actually had and worshipped idols. Well, later you see Laban, remember? And Rachel, remember Rachel even took her father's idols and hid them when she was menstruating, which nobody could go in the tent when you were doing that. And so you had your own privacy, and so she hid them there, and nobody could find them. And finally, Jacob says, look, you can't serve Yahweh and idols. You remember the story in the Old Testament? Where else do we find idolatry? Well, right there at Mount Sinai. They just got delivered by mighty acts. The gods of Egypt were conquered. That's what God said. I will conquer them. And now they move to the wilderness, go to Mount Sinai, they receive the law, and Moses comes down because he hears a ruckus, and they are worshiping a golden calf. They had taken off their earrings and rings and melted it together to make this calf in the wilderness. 
and they bowed down and worshipped. Now, we would say, how dumb is that? I mean, really? You know, first of all, to get rid of all your jewelry to make a golden calf to then sit there and bow down to it. I mean, what's the point of this when you just saw that God did these mighty acts? Well, first thing I'd say is this. Sin is always dumb. Every time you've ever sinned, wasn't it dumb? Wasn't it stupid? Wasn't it ludicrous? Wasn't it almost unthinkable? You look back and say, what was I even thinking? Yeah, it's insane to sin. It's the opposite of wisdom, isn't it? Absolutely. God has made the world a certain way, and to go against that is like running into the wall, all the while saying, there is no wall. No, there's a wall, and the way of a transgressor is hard. You ever seen somebody who's lived a rough life? A life filled with sin, filled with addictions? They even physically show it. Why? Because when you run into a wall and don't believe it's there, it's going to affect you. The second thing I would say about that, though, is this. You have to understand that they weren't trying to raise up another God. They believed that Yahweh was that calf. They were still worshiping God. They were saying to themselves, hey, Yahweh's the one who delivered us. So we're going to make an image of Yahweh so that we can better worship Him. I mean, don't we as humans like to see it? Show me the money. You know, We have to see it before we can believe it. And many of us even base our whole lives on that. I've met people who believe that if they cannot see, smell, touch, taste, hear, the empirical senses, then it's not true. It's not real. The problem is, even that truth there can't be proved by the senses. Uh-oh. row, as I say to my kids. You know, if you, if you espouse that scientism, which is the belief that if it cannot be scientifically, materially proven in a test tube or in a Bunsen burner or looked at in a microscope or telescope, it's not real. Well, that statement right there can't be proved in a test tube. You see, we cut ourselves up. We're the ones who make these gods, these idols. There are, as the New Testament will affirm, no other gods. They are our creations. They did that. They're the ones who molded that calf. We don't mold God into our image. That's breaking the second commandment. You see, in idolatry, what you're doing is you're bringing God down to something we can understand. And this is where heresy always comes from. Somebody has the good intention to make God understandable. I'm going to make God understandable. All these people always talk about these big words and big concepts and have to read the whole Bible. I'm just going to bring it all down. God is love, and He's defined by my kind of love that I understand in American context in the 21st century, the third millennium, which is about this big compared to the rest of the world. And we bring God down into heretical statements, false statements. But it's what we naturally as humans tend to do is to deduce. 
deduct, so to speak. We don't like something that we cannot fully understand. You know, I tell you, hey, you have to trust God. You can't just understand everything there is to know about God. This is a walk of faith. And you say to me, I I like that. I like to look stuff up on Wikipedia. I like to research it. I like to see a customer reviews. So what's the customer reviews on God? I want to know. Where's the research? I want to have it. And I say to you, He is our Father. You must trust Him. The research is already done. The customer reviews are in. And He has a perfect record. He has never failed. <laughs> and He's gracious. Praise God. He's Look, He should have burned them all up at that moment. They had just told Moses that if they did not follow the commandments, God could kill them. Kill them and their children's children. Did God kill them all? Absolutely not. He was merciful and gracious. They were made to drink up their idol. (laughs) Moses said, burn it down, melt it, and drink it. It's interesting there in Exodus where that event plays out. It says once they bowed down to the calf that they got up and played. That term in the Hebrew there is they had orgies among themselves. Why? Because we go back to what we talked about last week. Paganism, polytheism, the religion all over the world other than monotheism is always sexually charged. Why? Because if you bring God down to us to look like us, We're sexually charged. Like the animals. They're sexually charged. Again, that's why we have a bull outside of Wall Street. It's why we didn't choose a crow for our national bird. We chose an eagle. It's powerful. Represents power. Prestige. Nothing wrong with that. Those are totems. Those aren't necessarily idols. They can be, but they shouldn't be. Idols are what we make God into. We bring Him down. So, polytheists all over the world, religions all over the world, bring God down to idol form. Why? Because I can take Him home. I can see that as a reminder. You know, there's Krishna right there. There's Vishnu. There's Shiva. There's Brahma. On a Moloch. These are some from the Bible. Moloch. Uh, Asherah, Ashtoreth, Zeus, you may know him. There's all kinds of names for these gods and goddesses. They all have the same functions. The sun is always a god. Typically, the earth is always a goddess because she's producing. Again, when we make up the story, it seems like a divine soap opera. As I've said before, I had to watch soap operas when, my, when I lived with my grandparents because it was always on. And I'd say, Mimo, well, I, I thought that guy died. She said, yeah, he, he come back. You know. um, I thought so-and-so was cheating on so-and-so. Yeah, they got this ring going on. Okay. If you read the myths, which I have, they're the same way. It is exactly the same. You can, I mean, I, if you want to borrow my books, I can let you have them. Ha- they've got this ring of adultery... They're all cheating on each other. They're lying. They're trying to get ahead in life. They're dying. They're rising. This is mythology. This is idolatry. 
This is bringing God down to understandable concepts. And wouldn't it be nice if God was just like us? He messed up too. Big deal. Makes us feel better, doesn't it? I mean, when we mess up, we want to know somebody else has messed up in that same way, right? No, I I remember old so-and-so did it. That makes us feel better. As long as everybody's messing up, we're good with that. But there's one who never misses a beat, who doesn't mess up, who wrote the book on morality, who lives it out and did live it out in the flesh. He became one of us and lived it out in the flesh for us to see and to prove to us that sin is not essential to human humanity, to humans. It is foreign, it is insane, and it always leads to death. Think of Elijah and Elisha. You have many miracles all of a sudden that are exploding during this time. Why? Why the miracles? Why the miracles here at this certain point? It was because Israel had almost slid wholeheartedly into Baal worship. Again, that calf. Now go back to what I said. Baal was also called Lord. What is God called? Lord. He was also called El, which was his father. Baal's father was El, E-L. Well, Elohim is the beginning of El. So you can see how Israel adapted Baal worship to Yahwism worship, so to speak. To worshiping Yahweh. What, what did they do then? It wasn't they were just wholeheartedly rejecting God and Yahweh and what Moses had given them. Instead, they were syncretizing what their neighbors had with what God had revealed to them. It's syncretism. We have it today warmed up again. Jesus plus every other religion. They're all right. As long as you say that, that's politically correct. As soon as you say there's only one God and there are no others, well, that's where you have a problem. You see, Israel was wanting to be cool with their neighbors. They weren't wanting to be the the bigots. They didn't want to have that kind of label. So they said, you know what? Yeah, we, we have a bull we worship too. He's powerful bull. His name is Yahweh. Your, your, you know, your God's name is Baal, but ours is Yahweh. He's a bull too. And God says, you cannot make an image of me. And here's why. I'm not anything in nature. <laughs> I created nature. I am not nature. I'm not represented by a bull because I don't have sexual prowess and power. That's not my... That's not who I am. God is not sexed. He's not a male with a penis. He's not a female with breasts. This is paganism. This is polytheism. This always leads to idolatry. It always leads to breaking the second commandment. You say, wow, why are you getting so graphic here? Well, if you've never been introduced to the other world religions, it's not graphic at all. (laughs) I'm keeping it PG-13. We can get all R-rated up in here, but it's not going to happen. Not here. You have to take my class. You see, God is not us. 
We play these little games. We keep these little black books on people. And don't we often think of God like us though? That He's keeping tabs. When I mess up, oh God's angry at me. Oh man, i got to do something good so I can appease Him. God's not playing a game. He doesn't play the little games that we play. He doesn't doesn't have the hang-ups that we have as humans. He doesn't have the limitations that we have. He doesn't ever get tired or cranky. He's always full of laughter and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He's not us. He's not the created world. He doesn't get old and tired. No, He is not this world, nor will He be represented by anything in this world. Because He's out of this world. (laughs) Remember, He's beyond the Son. He's the one who created everything. Jeroboam in the Old Testament is kind of the nemesis of all evil for the writer of Chronicles, the writer of Kings. He sees Jeroboam and places all of the bad kings in the line of Jeroboam. Why? Well, Jeroboam took the northern kingdom, you remember, and what he did, the first thing he did was to set up two golden calves and make Samaria the kingdom... Uh, the, the, the temple worship. That's So he said, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Just stay here in Samaria, which is where the Samaritan conflict begins to arise. And so they say, no, this is the right place to worship now. And so he just sets up his own idols. Just pure, unadulterated idolatry. Bob, will you show that, uh, throw that up for us? And you can see all the kings of Israel on the left, all of them were bad according to the writer of Kings and according to the writer of Chronicles. Every single one of them. There's the dates for them. Some of them are extra bad. Some of them are extra evil, such as Ahab, you remember, and Jezebel. This is why Elijah becomes important, because guess what Elijah does? They're about to slip wholeheartedly, the whole nation, they're about to lose worship of Yahweh. And... Elijah comes along and challenges 450 of the prophets of Baal. Do you remember this story? Calls down fire. They're cutting themselves, crying out to Baal. And what Elijah says, he says, well, maybe he's musing. Maybe he's just thinking. And he's he's kind of... Maybe, Elijah says, he's using the restroom. And it's just taking a little longer. Stomach's upset. This is, what, this is what he says. Relieving himself in the ESV. They start cutting themselves. They start crying to Baal. And guess what? Silence. Nothing. Elijah comes on the scene and says, Look, douse this sacrifice in water three times. Now remember, it was a drought. People are sitting there salivating as they're pouring this water on, on the altar. He says, soak it. Soak the wood down. You know how fun it is to start a fire with the wood soaked. And then Elijah says, if you are the real Lord, show it. (laughs) Everything was consumed. There wasn't anything left. Everything was burned up. And then Elijah said, kill all the 450 prophets. And they killed them all right on the spot. Well, it was a city down, but pretty much on the spot. Idols. They're not real. We make them. We're the ones who fashion them. That kingdom got taken away first in 722 by the Assyrians. Why? 
because of their idolatry. God says, my land is holy. It's not your land. I'm the one who gave it to you. If you don't play by my rules, I'll keep my own special elect people out. And he did. The southern kingdom, Judah, most of them were bad. Only a few were good. And they also got kicked out in 586. Go ahead and close that down, Bob. And here's the point of this. God knew how to remedy idolatry. Get this, this is fascinating. Are Jews today idolatrous? No, they've never touched another idol. They've never worshipped it. They don't make idols. They're what's called iconoclasts. They break idols, just like Muslims. Just like Christians. We don't do idolatry. How did God remedy that? It was through exile. It was through discipline. And they never again, they, they said to themselves, we're never going to fall into idolatry again. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene... Are they idolatrous? (laughs) Well, according to Him, they are. But it's not on the outside. Instead, now, it's hidden on the inside. And Jesus always presses on that heart issue. The control center. The seat of our emotions and will, desires of who we are. You see, that's why the Pharisees had built laws around the law. They said, we're never going to break the law again because we'll get kicked out of the land. So then they made the law itself idolatrous. They brought it down. They even tried to place it on Jesus. He said, no. Get up and rise on the Sabbath. (laughs) They didn't like that. That was against their laws meant to protect them from ever breaking the law. They put fences around it. You see, we always tend toward idolatry. From the Old Testament filled with idolatry to the New Testament where Paul will then say, look, fornication, greed, lying, gossip. These are idolatry. And it's shocking. I mean, especially to a Jew. What? That's idolatrous? Seeking after my own way. And ultimately Paul comes down and says, the self is ultimately idolatrous because when you make yourself ultimate, you've made yourself God. And when you do everything in this life, when you live for the material world around you, that becomes idolatry. You bring God down. You reduce Him down into something you can think of, you can understand. Newsflash, you cannot understand fully God. I mean, let me ask you this. You say, well, that's kind of weird. Well, can you understand your wife? Can you understand your husband? Can you understand your brothers and sisters? You see, we as humans, persons, we are inexhaustible. We can't be exhausted. You can write a book about somebody. You can write 30 books about somebody and still not have it all down. How much more God? One God in three persons. Three persons, one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not... Jesus doesn't tell us at the Last Supper, take and understand what I'm doing. Praise God He didn't say that. Instead He says, take and eat. This is a walk of faith. This is a walk of trust. 
So we've talked about idolatry in the Old Testament, idolatry in the New Testament, where it's in here. What about idolatry in Madison? What about idolatry in this room? I know we've already exempted... I mean, before you ever even heard this sermon, you've already exempted yourself from being an idolater. But are you? John, who is the apostle of love, who writes the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and also Revelation, he says something fascinating. He says, little children in 1st John, keep yourself from idols. That's New Testament. Now I know they were still in a polytheistic world where the Roman gods were worshipped. Let me ask you, aren't there gods around us? We've already said that last week. We make them. We make things into gods. Food, sport, entertainment, pleasure, leisure, money, greed, covetousness, desire for what other people have, desire for other people's lives. This is idolatry. And if you participate in that, lying, being false, it's idolatrous. You're worshiping idols. You're bowing down to this material world, to the creation. St. Augustine, many, many years ago, said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used, such as wood, stone, or using anything that is meant to be worshiped. Idolatry. Are you using the created world to worship it? Is that where your time, energy, resources go? I mean, what you just squeeze out a little bit for God each week and that's enough? What you're doing is you're syncretizing the material world with the Spirit who is God, who is not the material world, who can never be represented in the material world. There is never any satisfaction in this material world. This is not our ultimate dwelling home. He is. Our heart belongs to God, not to the trees, not to paper, not to money, not to credit, not to lying, not to addictions. Our heart belongs to God. Our home is a place that He has prepared for us. The name that is upon us is the name that He gives us. Not one that other people label us with. Is there idolatry in your heart? Israel denied it too. Will you deny it? Nobody wants to say they're an idolater. Nobody wants to say they're a child of Satan. But John also says in 1 John, you're either a child of God because you do righteousness, or if you do unrighteousness and sin... You're child of the devil. That's strong words. I don't like to even think of people in those terms. And yet I've been one. I've been one. I've been an idolater. I've bowed down to things in my life that I knew God said to destroy. The only way to get rid of idolatry is to destroy it. Paul would say to put it to death and to then put on Christ. He can deliver you from any idol in your life. That's the good news. He can free us. 
and He is gracious. He's not tired of you coming to Him. (laughs) He's not tired of you asking for that thing to go away, for that addiction to be broken. He doesn't get tired. We do. He's not one of us. His thoughts, His ways are higher than ours. Praise be to God. Amen.